Hi, I'm Raj Kumar, President and Editor-in-Chief at DevX. You're listening to Davos Dispatch, our special edition of This Week in Global Development. I'm here in the freezing cold, snowy ski town in Switzerland for the World Economic Forum's annual meeting. And I'm here to pull back the curtain for all of you who listen to this podcast through conversations with a number of diverse leaders from around the world on some of the most important issues facing the globe today. Listen in and let me know what you think. In this episode, we'll talk with social entrepreneurs taking on big challenges on the African continent, from improving medical supply chains to providing underbanked customers with essential products to ensuring access to justice. While they're tackling different challenges, they're all using technology to carry out and scale their work. Many social entrepreneurs say that financing is the biggest hurdle, preventing them from making a more meaningful impact on the issues they're tackling. So in these conversations, you're going to hear me ask a lot about that. We'll start with Temi Giwa Tubuson. She's the CEO of LifeBank, a healthcare technology and logistics company that delivers blood, oxygen, and other medical equipment to healthcare facilities across Nigeria, Kenya, and Ethiopia. We started with a single product in a single city with a single distribution system, right? So blood on motorbikes in Lagos. That was the business. And we stayed with that for a while to just iron out that, you know, process uh, because it has to be 24 hours. It has to be kept cold. It's actually, we, I like to tell people that we started with the hardest part first. Most people will start with like a very easy commodity with easy context and then add, you know, additional. But we started with the most difficult one, which is blood. It's emergency. It's on demand. It needs to be kept cold and it needs to be delivered really quickly. So, but then once we figured that out, we added medical oxygen, I like to say, right before COVID. So we're ahead of it. We're, we're ahead. And then during COVID, our hospitals uh, actually now said, we need you to help us find PPEs. We need you to, you know, so we added medical consumables. Then equipment was added from request by our customers. And now we're like this one single marketplace uh, for care centers across the continent, right? And we... Just like we moved from one product to multiple, right? We've moved from one city to like, we're fully pan-Nigerian, right? So we operate in all the regions in Nigeria, uh, thanks, thanks to MSD Mothers funding that allowed us to scale, scale our infrastructure, scale our technology. And then, um, you know, we've also expanded, um, you, know, um, you know, this type of assets we use, right? So not just, you know, motorcycles, we're now using trucks and boats and the works. One of the things I wanted to do at Davos this year is to think through how do we, uh, you know, infuse capital? How do you bring in working capital into this system? Right? And what, what role do we have to play as an aggregator uh, to bring financing onto that platform? So that's the next step. So we've, we've tackled the marketplace. We've ca- tackled logistics. The next thing is to make sure that commerce is happening on that marketplace and it's happening in an efficient and impactful way. It's amazing how finance has unlocked so many opportunities because often there is a real business that can be built if you could just bridge that financing gap, right? And I guess a lot of, uh, especially Western donors, investors often look at places like Nigeria and say, it's too risky, right? And so if they're willing to lend at all, they want kind of 
ridiculously high interest Absolutely. rates, et cetera. Absolutely. Double digit. <laughs> right. So I guess I wonder, how did you do it? I mean, you have got this big organization now. And I, like I said, I've known you for years now. I've seen how this has grown. There must be people listening to this who want to do something like what you've done. How did you somehow manage to get the necessary funding to get to this point? What have you raised? How have you raised it? I raised from everywhere, anywhere. I would take, as long as it's impact-driven money, I would take any type of money. So we've raised debt, right? We've raised equity, pure equity, like venture capital, investment. We've raised uh, grants. You know, we're thankful for people who want to see us grow and who want to give us unrestricted grants to grow to scale and to test out new ideas. MSD for Mothers, School Foundation, you know, so we've really, we've been able to raise partnerships, right? Things that I could never pay for, like for example, Johnson & Johnson worked with us for over two years, just giving us sort of like this, um, centering our medical research capacity. Uh, so we did a medical research with them and basically just trained me and my team over years on how to actually execute a medical research in a high level. You, I mean, how much would I pay for that if I was looking for someone to do that? So we've really been able to really uh, tap into this global um, um, expertise uh, and global funding. Um, for me, you know, I'm constantly talking to you know uh, folks who want to see this, who want to solve problems. And I think what what sets what could set other people apart is to have clarity on the problem you're solving and how, and then also to have tested it. Right? No one wants to come. I, I find that it's difficult for funders to test something that is new. Right, but once I've put some skin in the game, I've tested it, I've built a model, I've sort of like hired out the kings. It's then easy for people to sort of like fund the next step of that uh, initiative. Right, often it's that first money that's really hard <laughs> for exactly that reason. I know. We, we we set aside a portion of our budget for R and D every single year, and it's just because we we see problems, we want to solve it, so we use a portion of our budget to solve it to its very minuscule way. For example, this fund, this blood, uh, you know, blood uh, safety fund, we only put like, you know, a couple thousand dollars, like ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars into it. But this is a, a project that could go to under a million, right? But you test it out, you show that it works, and then you go find funding outside. We don't talk enough about business model innovation, right? And I think when I, in the, you know, in the global health world, people often are a little bit taken aback on what to do about LifeBank. What is LifeBank? Are you an NGO? Are you, you know, you have this profit motive? Is it not, maybe we don't like profit motive as much. So people really find it difficult to figure out where to put us, right? And so I want to tell the story, you know, and, and make a case to global health that, you know, in the last eight years, we've, Serve 43 million people, right? We've grown, we've scaled, and we haven't had a ton of, you know, unrestricted grant funding from the places you expect to be funding this kind of work. And it's because this idea of what do we do with this business. But to make a case that companies like LifeBank can actually solve these problems and maintain and, and close the gap and maintain that, that closure, right? That if you solve a problem, if you move the world forward here, right and then the funding runs out you're probably gonna dial down you know the progress you created will dial down but when you have a company that is inherently sustainable that can sustain itself right and you need to give it some growth capital we shouldn't be so afraid of it of that so for me the next stage is to making some noise around you know 
those of us in global health should not be so afraid of coffee motive. The world is facing a range of health threats, from an increase in disease outbreaks to the health impacts of climate change. I'm Janelle Ravelo, Senior Global Health Reporter for DevEx. Every Thursday, we bring you exclusive news and insights on how the health sector is finding solutions to these challenges in our free weekly newsletter, DevEx Checkup. Visit devex.com newsletters to subscribe. Every year at the World Economic Forum annual meeting, the Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship presents the Social Innovators of the Year. This year, Temi was one of the 16 winners, together with Gerald Abila, the founder of Barefoot Law, a nonprofit based in Uganda that is using technology to bring the legal system and really justice to people who are otherwise denied it. Here's our conversation. So Barefoot Law is a nonprofit institution based in Uganda, started about 10 years ago, while I was still a law student, that uses a variety of technologies and platforms to make access to justice available, particularly to underserved communities across Africa. And we're in about, we're in three African countries now and we've served in the decade, we've operated close to a million people. That's amazing. I come from a continent that has faced a number of challenges, and the challenges we are facing relating to the rule of law are challenges that are affecting our development as a continent. And I feel we are limited in the number of problem solvers that we have, but we have the law, you see. The law is a tool that it will make readily available can help people to prevent and resolve problems that they face peacefully. And more peaceful problem resolution means more prosperity and increased livelihoods. And that's part of my belief and foundation at, at Barefoot Law, and that's part of what I do as a lawyer. I come from a country where a majority of the lawyers are in uh, the capital city. The rest of the country is underserved. And because of this imbalance, so many problems are unresolved or resolved in crude ways like, like mob justice and again conflict. The biggest problem we face uh, in terms, of, uh, in terms of, of, of legal issues is land across the country, followed by uh, issues of domestic, uh, domestic matters, followed by issues that are economic in nature. And these land disputes, of course, vary from, like the example that you say, that's something that is so common, uh, unlawful evictions, denying widows their inheritance, and, uh, yeah, issues of uh, someone performing work, let's say you've, you've, you, you, you farmed for someone and you're not being paid, and something big that's starting to come up relates to microfinance and recovery of, uh, of debt. So... There's an increase in uh, microfinance uh, savings and cooperatives across, I think, across Africa. But again, there's uh, a lot of conflicts that are arising when uh, 
debts where when money has been borrowed but payment has not been fulfilled and that's also we are seeing it increase as a source of conflict in some of the areas that we serve. So take us through how this might happen. Let's say you have someone who's borrowed money from a cooperative or a microfinance institution. They haven't paid it back. Um, if I understand right, much of your platform works through text messaging. So would someone who has that claim to make maybe that cooperative organization send a text and then take us through it? What happens from there? Um, I'll start with the barefoot law model. Access to justice, I believe, starts with access to digestible legal information. So the first thing we do is we get the law, we simplify it, and we make it easy to process. We turn it into video, we turn it into content, we turn it into skits. Sometimes we even turn it into plays, and then we broadcast it through the various platforms that we have, from mobile phones through SMS to voice notes in five different languages, community agents that we work with, partner organizations, radio stations, and so many others. And uh, in that broadcast, we also inform the public how they can reach us. So for instance, uh, a person will receive the message about uh, writing a will, saying, did you know you can write a will to protect your property in case anything happens to you? And that's a person then who'll have a question. Something has been triggered, what is a will? And that person will either call our toll-free line in, a, in one of the languages we provide or send an SMS with law, space your question to 6115 or get in touch with us through social media or the community justice partners we have or through the virtual offices we have in remote communities that we call the barefoot law boxes. And those questions then come to our group of trained lawyers who will then guide that person towards resolution. But in guiding that person towards resolution, we also create agency, such that that person in future becomes an agent of justice in that community and is able to prevent and resolve problems that arise even without barefoot law being present. I come from a country where per capita, the, the per capita GDP is less than $1,000. And this is a lot of sub-Saharan Africa is in the same boat. In a situation like that, law and justice becomes a luxury. And so we thought if we are to levy a fee for someone to come and access something like the law, then they would rather stay away from it. And so we would have ended up perpetuating a lot of these inequalities that we aimed to go and address. And because of that, all our services are pro bono. We're a non-profit institution, and we rely on, uh, on grants and impact investing. You know, the, there's been a long-standing idea that peace in many places where there's real conflict can come through dispute re resolution, through identifying grievances and, and working on those. Um, but most of the efforts I've heard about come from NGOs that are trying to do projects in certain places, maybe coming in from overseas, and are often quite supply-driven. They're thinking about who can they bring into the community. And what's really fascinating about your model and approach, and, and maybe others will pick it up, is that you're leveraging resources and assets that are already there in the community, and you're just looking at them in a very different way. So my, my last question for you is just, as someone who's new here to the World Economic Forum, uh, what have you been gaining from being here and, and what are you, what's your message to the people you're 
you're meeting and interacting with here in Davos? You know, it's been quite a learning experience. Of course, right now I'm just learning how to navigate. I hope I'll be back in future and I hope I can leverage this to raise awareness about the urgency of us to meet our development goals, especially SDG 16. Honestly, I, uh, I have my doubts. I don't think we'll meet these goals by 2030. We're more than halfway. And I think part of the reason is that we never put enough emphasis on access to justice and SDG 16. And I hope in a post-SDG 2030 world, we emphasize more the benefits of access to justice, rule of law, and peace as a foundation to meet all these other development challenges. And I hope to keep stressing that whenever I get an opportunity. Are you looking for the inside story on what's happening at organisations like the World Bank, USAID or the Gates Foundation? Then you need to be reading DevX Pro. I'm Jessica Abrahams and I'm the editor of DevX Pro. Pro is DevX's premium news subscription, where our expert reporters and analysts take you beyond the headlines, deep into the trends and institutions shaping the $200 billion aid industry. As well as all our news, you'll get access to conversations with global development leaders, resources to help you grow in your career, and a subscriber-only newsletter full of insider news and tidbits. See for yourself by getting a free trial today at devx.com pro. Gerald emphasized in our conversation that his organization is serving a population that simply can't afford access to justice. So he's found a way to provide his services entirely for free. It's a grant-based model that makes sense for many not-for-profit organizations. But there are others that are finding market-based solutions. That's something I discussed with Mayur Patel, the chief commercial officer at MCOPA. If you want to buy a smartphone in Africa, chances are you're using MCOPA to pay for it. MCOPA is a financing platform that allows customers to borrow money to buy productive assets like smartphones or solar panels. It started in Kenya and it's now the largest financier of smartphones across Africa. We just spoke after a session on investing in frontier markets, and you might get a sense of that from the background noise. A bit of context here. For companies like Mcopa, raising venture capital is not easy, but it's possible. People are willing to invest, sometimes, on a small scale. But then as these startups grow, at some point, they don't need someone to buy their stock and invest what they need is to be able to borrow money at acceptable terms in order to lend that money on to the people they serve, in this case, to buy smartphones. That is where they often run into hurdles. You'll learn more about that in my conversation with Mayur on the critical role of debt financing for MCOPA and other companies like it working on the African continent. MCOPA has really grown quite rapidly. Uh, the first million customers came in eight years. The second million customers came in 18 months. 
The third million customers came in 12 months. And the fourth million set of customers, which we're just about to cross, is coming in under six months. So the company is going through this massive scale. The addressable market for essential services like a smartphone is enormous. We still have in Africa half a billion, half a billion adults who are not connected to the internet. I mean, that's just, that's a tragedy. That's both a, a tragedy for our markets. You know, I'm Zimbabwean, Africa is home for me. But it's also a tragedy for all the other people in the world on the internet because that's half a billion producers, content creators, you know, people that are not part of that. So the addressable market is there. The big, big barriers for growth are not demand. You know, they're not the scalability of the platform or the opportunity. The big barriers to growth are figuring out how you solve the working capital cycle. And fundamentally, we're talking about debt and the debt financing that's required to scale companies. Right, so you need to borrow money from others, institutional investors at a very large scale, to then be able to lend effectively to you know, average consumers who might be the ones who are in, in need of a new smartphone. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we procure smartphones. Uh, in some cases in Kenya, we're actually manufacturing smartphones. We, we, we built the first smartphone local assembly plant in Kenya. But in both those cases, you essentially, as a company, you're outlaying uh, capital and then you are financing to the customers. So we collect in small amounts over a period of time and it's that delta, it's that gap that needs filling in terms of working capital. Um, this issue is going to be something that many companies who are sort of in the same cohort of Mkopa, these are high growth, you know, fintech companies, in many cases venture-backed, and the barrier to continuing to scale many of these companies is going to become about debt. And how do you raise debt efficiently? How do you deploy it effectively? Uh, and how do you do it in a way that you can kind of continue to match the opportunity set in Africa, which is enormous because we are just at the early days of the potential of many of these companies with the ability to kind of finance that. Humanitarian aid and aid in general absolutely has a place in our markets. It's an essential first step in many instances. Um, but really the big lever for powering growth in the places we care about is going to be how we bring in private capital. Uh, the DFIs are a very important part of that equation. I think one of the things that's perhaps not always truly well understood is commercial banks in Africa are really stepping up in important and valuable ways. You know, for example, in Coba, we have raised, you know, several hundred million dollars worth of debt. Last year, we closed a $200 million debt facility. And the primary backer of that was Standard Bank, the largest bank in Africa. They've been a supporter and a champion of Mkopa for many, many years as part of our journey of growth. So you've got commercial banks in Africa that are willing to lead in many instances, understand the bigger picture and what's going to be required in the digital economy transformation. And I think actually part of the role of these DFIs is really getting behind the commercial banks. Because the commercial banks in many instances understand the risk better. They operate in these countries every single day. And so my only encouragement would be trying to find ways that DFIs can kind of really line up behind the commercial banks. We are seeing promising signs that the, if you think about the, 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 the spectrum of capital that is starting to emerge on the equity side, you're seeing more global investors pay attention, but you're also seeing, which is really exciting, local ecosystems grow. So you've got a lot of local investors, a lot of local VCs. Some cases, some of these uh, investments have come out of companies who have been successful and have had some uh, exit events. And so some of those entrepreneurs are now doing what founders do all over the globe, which is reinvesting in the places that they sure. kind of They build. know the market better than anyone. Yeah. But the debt part is going to be the hard one.
So that's the real key piece, I think, in trying to solve for scale in Africa. Well, that is a, uh, a fantastic message because we're talking a lot about this billions to trillions agenda and crowding in the private sector, but oftentimes those discussions are held at the levels of the MDBs and the DFIs, but we need to bring in voices like yours from the private sector and those who have built and scaled companies. So thank you for taking a few minutes here on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum annual meeting to have this conversation with me. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Raj. Thanks for listening to Davos Dispatch, a special edition of This Week in Global Development. If you enjoyed today's episode, and I sure hope you did, please share it, or you can also leave us a rating or a review. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform, and I'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to shoot me a message on social media at raj underscore devx, or send an email to podcasts at devx.com. Davos Dispatch is a podcast from DevX, and it's hosted by me, Raj Kumar. Today's episode was produced and edited by Naomi Mihara.